future begins by receiving God's unconditional love for you. What if God's leading us to make some changes right now that are gonna position us as families and as a church to be a place of hope, to be a light for others? You are unique, God delights in you. He created you just as He wants you to be and we need you to be you. There's something inside of you that's like, man, I need more, I want more, I wanna take that step. I want my spiritual journey to look different because I've been settling. This place is to be dedicated for the things that we will covenant together and commit together to our Lord. Lord, never let this building become the focus of our ministry. Never. But let you and people be the focus and this be a tool that you use in a mighty way. All right, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad you're here to worship with us this weekend. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues at an offsite campus, wherever you might be. We are thankful, excited. You made it a priority to worship with us this weekend. I wanna give a special shout out to our Somerville campus. Pastor Roy is actually gonna be out of town on March 3rd, so I'm gonna get to come and worship with you that weekend. I was trying to think, how's that saying go when the, when the cat's away, the mice will play? <laughs> so, I don't know exactly what that has to do with me being in Somerville, but it's gonna be fun. And so put it on your calendar, look forward to uh, worshiping with you there. How many of you would agree with me that it is an exciting season of ministry here at Seacoast? I'm telling you, it is the truth. Here in Mount Pleasant, there's some just building momentum and excitement as we get closer and closer to moving in to our new facility next door. I'm telling you, at 10 o'clock now in the middle of February, we're having record numbers at 10 o'clock, people sitting in the breezeway, all in the cafe, every venue full. So the season where we don't have to sit on each other's lap to worship is so close, right? And we're excited to move in to the new uh, facility. But be, even beyond that, man, just experiencing the miraculous hand of God. We've heard so many testimonies every single week of God showing up in power in someone's life and bringing about healing in one way or another. In fact, just this past weekend, we got a, a call from a girl named Elise. She was watching online and she has suffered from chronic back pain her whole life. She got injured on a ski trip as a teenager and for the last 20 years has had severe back pain. And last week she heard Pastor Greg talking about the well of expectation and how he said, you can't expect too much from God, but it is possible to expect too little. And so after that message, she walked upstairs to her room and she got down on her knees in pain and cried out to God and he touched her back and she stood up healed. And her father, I know, isn't that incredible? Her, her father, Jeff, is in Pastor Michael's small group and so he showed up this week just bright-eyed, could not wait to tell about this work that God had done in his daughter's life. I got an email on Sunday from a family here in the church that are foster parents. And for those of you who are involved at all, maybe do wraparound services, or you yourselves are foster care parents, you know that it is an incredibly uh, rewarding ministry, but man, there is a price to be paid in the home. It can be difficult on your marriage and family, and 
This family's story was no different. In the email, he described to me just the consequences it's had on their family and marriage and home and some areas that they just felt like, you know what, we've settled and uh, need to step into some health and, and prayers of faith. And so uh, he sent me an email, and this is what happened this past week, and he said, we usually go to the Saturday night service, but this week, we went to the 11.30 a.m. service on Sunday and listened to Pastor Greg talking about redigging wells and expecting more. Despite not wanting to, I realized that the path of our marriage would be less than desirable if we did not change course. So we went up front to get prayed over and bring our hurt into the open. We were prayed over by the Gaines couple and I can honestly say that God began healing my heart. The cool part is not even the healing that I'm receiving but what happened in the custom service. Destiny Gaines was singing on the stage in the custom this weekend, and in the middle of a song during response time, she noticed that our teen was in the middle of a crowded room, was sitting in her seat during prayer, and she felt compelled to go over and pray for her. She left the stage and walked right over. When Destiny offered to pray over her, our teen began to weep. So while the Gaines couple was praying over us and the worship center, Destiny Gaines was praying over our teen. In the middle of a crowd of thousands, we were being prayed over by the same family on opposite ends of the building. I could almost audibly hear God telling me that he's got us covered from all angles. Isn't that incredible? I'm like, man. Just those weekends where you show up and God shows up to not only you, but your kids in his presence and power. Man, it was their story, it's my story, and I know for each of you, maybe totally different set of circumstances, but this has been a place where God has showed up time and time again to say, hey, I've got you, I'm with you. Whether you've experienced his power here recently yourself, whether he's healed you in some way physically or emotionally, or maybe you've just read about somebody's testimony on Facebook or heard about it from a friend, what if I told you that there's an even greater miracle? And it's one that each of us can experience together this weekend. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus had been walking with the disciples for some time, and to give you some context as to the season of ministry they're in, in a lot of ways, it feels like the one that we've been experiencing together. They had just seen Jesus do some miraculous things. He was on a boat with them when this fierce storm came up, and Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. The disciples were blown away, like, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their boat would land on the shore, and this guy that had been possessed by demons. His name was Legion because he was possessed by many demons. The Bible describes him as just this beast of a man. He would be chained up and lived among the tombs. People were afraid of him. Jesus would go and have this encounter with this man. And it's one of the funniest passages. I like to like imagine myself in scripture, you know. Well, when Jesus encounters this guy, he sends all the demons into a herd of pigs. And the pigs go running down the mountainside into the water. And I can only imagine people being like, what happened to the bacon? <laughs> Save it, you know? Get the pigs, you know? <laughs> Just how wild that would be. People came running out of town, like, what is happening with the pigs, you know? Just a crazy scene. Well, he sets this guy free. People show up to this scene knowing this guy that used to not be in his right mind, dressed in normal clothes and being healthy, and they were, they were just blown away, right? Well, then Jesus uh, is on his way to see Jairus' daughter, this ruler whose daughter was sick, and he has this encounter with this woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed. And then while he's having this interaction with this woman, Jairus' daughter actually dies, and so they come to Jesus and say, hey, don't worry about coming anymore. Uh, she, she passed away, and Jesus said, hey, she's not dead, but she's asleep. Let's go and pray. 
Jesus goes and prays over her, takes her by the hand, and she gets up. So this is a season where I can only imagine for the disciples each night at dinner, they're like processing, like, did you see what Jesus did? I can't, like, I can see the disciples on a walk and the wind starts to pick up, right? And they're trying to start be like Jesus. They're like, wind, be still, you know, and nothing's (laughs) happening. They're just blown away. They've never seen anything like this before. Well, in the beginning of Luke chapter nine, there on your outline, Jesus sends them out in his power. And it says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. It would go on in chapter 10, that next verse there on your outline, Jesus pulls 72 others in and in the same spirit sends them out. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, everybody say however. However, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice in the, the miracles. Rejoice in the miracle. Notice Jesus here, he doesn't diminish the amazing nature of the miraculous, right? He doesn't say, guys, you set some people free. You healed some people, you know? I was able to calm the wind and the waves. Can you do that? No, you're not me, so calm down. You know, like, he doesn't diminish the miraculous, but he reframes the miraculous. He says, guys, don't don't rejoice in these miracles. Rejoice in the miracle, the miracle of salvation, that your name is written in heaven. We see some of Jesus' heart here. You know, the Bible tells us that he came to to seek and save the lost. He loves each of us. He loves his children, there's no question. But over and over and over again, we see in scripture that he has this special attention, this special obsession, this love for the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, that his eyes are always fixed on the farthest horizon. Right, his will is that none of his children would perish. He has a special love for the lost. And we see here him reframe the miraculous to to show us, to paint a picture of the same miracle that's available for us today. The miracle of salvation, that we could have a relationship with God through Christ. Because for each of us, right, we have a born on and an expiration date. There is gonna be a date where you and I die, right? One out of one, people, at some point, we are going to pass away. So any of the miraculous work that we experience in our physical bodies today will one day pass, right? But the miracle of salvation, the miracle of eternal life is one that goes on and on and on forever. The greatest miracle that we could have a relationship with God. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, when I think about this season of ministry here in our church, I can't help but ask, like, why? God, why are you doing this? You know, we heard Pastor Greg say last week that he's never seen anything like this. As he's talked with his friends in ministry, they've never seen anything like this. I've read about, I read about it in the Bible, right? So I know it's true. I know the miraculous is possible, but I've just never seen it up close. And there's probably a ton of reasons why, right? The Bible says that God's ways are not 
our ways. His ways are higher than ours. But there's two reasons that, that I just can't shake. The first of which is because this is how Jesus told us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we know in heaven that there's no cancer, there's no sickness, there's no blind eyes, there's no deaf ears, right? And so we can pray, God, here on earth, will we experience heaven on earth? We speak against cancer, we speak against broken relationships, we speak healing into those things because it's what Jesus told us to do. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We don't have to wait until heaven to experience that. We can pray in faith the same way that he commissioned the disciples to pray over the sick, to cast out demons, he's positioned us here to occupy and do the same thing. I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing him do what he's doing. But another reason is that, man, the miraculous builds a bridge to reach the lost. And he has a special attention, right? A special care for the lost. Can you imagine Elise, the girl whose back was healed? I don't know what she does for a living, but if you know anybody at your office or maybe in your family that has severe back pain. It's like, man, you don't, you don't think much of back pain until you got back pain, you know what I'm saying? Then all of a sudden, getting in bed, getting in the car, like everything's like, oh God, help me, you know? Slow moving. You imagine somebody walking into the office who's always had back pain, they've medicated it, they use ice, the heat, they go to the doctor, back support, feet support, all these different things to try to just manage the pain. Can you imagine seeing them come strolling in the office? Hey, good morning, Steve. You know, like, everybody's like, hey, what's, what's going on with you? Did you get some new, like, posturepedic shoes or something? It's like, no, God healed me. <laughs> you know, it's like, ha ha, you know, really. It's like, no, he did. I went down on my knees in pain, I prayed, I stood up, God touched my back and he healed me. People would be like, what exactly did you say? You know? <laughs> People be in the cubicle beside you, like, hey, would you pray over my, would you pray over my shoulder? You know, it's like, people get weird. The miraculous can build a bridge, unlike any invitation to church or anything else that you could say, right? People will show up here, and I believe that we're in a season where God is moving in a powerful way so that we might reach many more people. Us moving into this new facility next door isn't just about having more space or moving in to a new space, and it's not just for Mount Pleasant. I believe it's for all of our campuses that God is taking us to a new place as a church, that we're gonna reap a harvest, that many that are lost are gonna be found. Their eternities are going to be changed. Last week, Pastor Greg kicked off a new series called Vintage, and the foundation of the series is that all throughout the Old Testament, whenever people would encounter the power or presence of God, they would build an altar or dig a well and name it after the place of, of blessing or power. And as years passed, the Philistines and others, they were jealous of the people of God, so they would fill these wells with earth, right, and, and cover them up. Well, there came a point where Isaac, Abraham's son, went back and redug these wells that his father had dug and named as a place of blessing. He redug those wells, and as we prepare to move in to this new season of ministry, we wanna set aside a couple weeks to revisit some of the powerful moments and messages, some of the works of God here in our church so that we can be sure as we move in to this next season, uh, we're familiar with the people that he's called us to be. We're familiar with the work that he's done here in our church. And the, the well that I wanna redig or revisit today is the well of reaching people. 
Seacoast is almost 31 years old, and it was planted with that intent in mind. When Pastor Greg and his family moved here to the Charleston area, they wanted to reach people who didn't have a relationship with God, people who didn't have a church home. And there's a couple of things that, that he did that inspire the way that I approach ministry every day. The first of which is he went to the funeral home, and he said, hey, if anybody passes away here in Mount Pleasant and they don't have a pastor, if they don't have a church home, if there's no voice of hope or more in their life, here's my card, would you call me? I just thought, man, a guy that would be willing and wanting to show up to someone in their most painful moments of life so that they could share with them the good news about Jesus. Just the creativity of thinking, how can I get in front of people that might not know him and it not be weird? I was just like, man, it inspires me to think differently about how I reach people. Another thing that they did was make 16,000 phone calls. They got this thing called a phone book. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> right? It was a book with printed landline phone numbers in it. It's like, nobody even has that. We've been renovating a house and I shiplapped right over all the landline things. Like, we don't even need those anymore. Just cover it up, right? Well, they made 16,000 phone calls. Usually, <clears throat> on my way home from work each day, I'll make phone calls. I'll call two or three people, if God put somebody's name on my heart that day that I was praying about, thinking about, or if there was a meeting that I needed to wrap up or follow up with somebody, and at best I can get through maybe two or three phone calls. Can you imagine how much time it would take to call 16,000 people? Y'all are looking at me like that's normal. 16,000 people, <laughs> phone calls, man. I'm like, hey, do you go to church? Well, great, we're thankful, keep going. Oh, you don't. Well, talk with me about that. If we were to plan a life-giving church that was normal and whatever, you know, it's like just amazing, that kind of drive and hunger to reach people. It's, it's who Seacoast has been. It's critical to the Jesus mission, and I believe it's an assignment that God has on each of our lives. And so what does it look like? I want us to look at, at four steps for reaching people. The first step is there on your outline. It's this. Number one, I have to accept the responsibility. Accept the responsibility. Katie and I have six employees, I mean kids, and I like to, we like to think about our home like it's a business or a restaurant, right? And I've learned with our employee kids, I'm sorry, that, uh, that if I leave the house and there's toys in the yard, and I say, hey kids, mommy and daddy are leaving, y'all make sure to pick up all the toys you know, before you go to bed tonight, I've learned that if I don't put a name on it, when we get home, all those toys are still gonna be in the yard. Right? And so what I have to do now is say, Abel, Asher, Ari, Anthem, Anna Jay, Abigail, get out here. You know, we've got too many kids, right? I'll call them, call them out and I'll be like, Abel, buddy, I saw you on the skateboard. I'm gonna need you to pick that up. Asher, there were two rollerblades. There's only one there. Where's the other rollerblade? They both need to be put up. That ball's about to roll into the road. Somebody get, you know, I've got to assign them to it so they feel a sense of responsibility. Well, the call, the mandate for reaching people isn't just one that's been given to us as a community of people. It's not just one that's given to pastors. It's an, a responsibility for each of us to accept. Corporately, the call for us is there on 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. It says, this is Paul. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. The church is God's household. Here in our culture, where man, it's like a world that is chasing after truth, whatever they want it to be, right? God has positioned the church, the local church, to be his household. 
the foundation and the pillar of truth, the foundation on which people would build their lives, the supporting structure that covers and, and protects us as a family. As a community, we are God's household, a pillar and foundation of truth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 makes it personal. It says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We, myself, Josh, Brian, Libby, Stephen, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We have to accept the responsibility. Last weekend, I officiated a memorial service for Austin Teal, and in many ways, he was like the, the picture of health. 26 years old, worked out, ate healthy. He was the kind of guy, ladies, have you ever heard, um, if you wanna know how a, how a guy's gonna treat you, look at the way he treats his mama? Well, he was the kind of guy that called his mom every day, never said bye to his family on the phone without saying, I love you. He was the kind of friend that you wanted in your corner, always there for you, always bringing joy into the room. Well, he passed away in his sleep at 26 years old, unexpectedly, no signs of, of anything going on, and it was devastating to his friends and family. And as I sat down to talk with the family about Austin and, and plan for the memorial service, his dad, Fred, said, listen, there's gonna be hundreds of young people, hundreds of 20-year-olds that attend this service that don't have hope. They're gonna be searching for hope. And we wanted you to do the service because you're funny and you make people laugh. And I want, I want them to smile at this service. I want to help, help them get through their grief. I want you to blow their paradigm of what they think a pastor is or what they think a church could be like because I want them to come back to this church again. So don't mess it up. You know? <laughs> it's like, no pressure, right? And it was, a, it was a great service. It was standing room only in the chapel. Hundreds of young people spilling out into the breezeway. Got to hear about where and how they can find hope in Jesus. But ever since that memorial service, I think I've been most marked by their family. See, in a moment where as a dad, I think I would have been so focused on my son, they knew that his race was over. And they felt a sense of burden, of responsibility for the hundreds of young people that don't know Jesus that are searching for hope. And so their focus was, man, present the good news. Let these kids have fun. They felt that sense of responsibility. And it's made me question, like, how would I change my day? How would it impact my week? How would it, how would it change my filter if I felt that sense of responsibility? Not just in the moments where I felt up for the, the challenge, right? But this is a moment where anyone would say, you've got the right and the freedom for all eyes to be on you. What do you need? What do you want? that the responsibility that they felt was for the lost. If we're gonna reach people, we've gotta live with a burden, right? With a holy discontent. That there's some people around me whose eternities aren't settled, right? That we would see them and pray for them, that we would take advantage of opportunities to share our faith with them. That we would allow it to change the way that we approach our day, but it's gonna begin with accepting the responsibility. It's a call, a mandate that God has put on each of our lives. There's people in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace that you may well be the only picture of Jesus that they encounter day in, day out. You might be the only person who prays for them. You might be the only person to extend an invitation of some kind. Whatever the case, it's gonna begin as you accept the responsibility. Number two there on the back of your outline. The second step is that we've got to develop a relationship. 
Develop a relationship. Who are the people in your life that you are currently developing a relationship with? Chances are, if, if you're anything like me, they're probably people who are like you in one way or another. All of our kids are playing rec league basketball right now. We signed them up at the rec center that's right up the road from our house. And because of that, they're, they're playing ball with a lot of the same kids that they go to school with, a lot of the same kids that live in our neighborhood, people that are in a similar socioeconomic status. We usually gravitate towards family with multiple kids, just so some of our kids that are other ages have a buddy that they can play with. And without even realizing it, we can all easily gravitate towards befriending and hanging and developing a relationship with people that are very similar to us. Whether that's because you work out at the same gym and you and some other random person are going to the same place every day or every other day and you develop a relationship or maybe it's because of your dietary habits, you are a gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, whatever, and you eat the same cardboard as the other person, right? <laughs> Go to the same smoothie place, right? Those habits, we tend to cultivate relationships with people that are like us. The challenge is we live in a world where we are surrounded by people who are totally different than us. How do we, what do we do to cultivate, to build, to establish a relationship, not just with people who have different, different hobbies or a different lifestyle than us, but people that may well be lost. They don't share the same faith. Man, when you listen to the music they listen to or the words that would come out of their mouth, it would make you cringe or question, oh, do my kids you know, hear that? Like, how do we befriend and build a relationship with people that are totally different than us? One of my favorite examples of this is found in Luke chapter 19, one through 10. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, which is like, just kind of funny. It's like, why'd they gotta say he was short, man? You know? <laughs> On his profile pic, he looked so cute. I had no idea that he was, you know, like, well, he was a short dude, all right? No, still can't get a break, you know? So he runs ahead, the Bible tells us. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here we've got Zacchaeus. Jesus' reputation has preceded him, right? Zacchaeus is a wealthy man of of influence and he's heard about these healings, the miraculous, there's all these crowds following Jesus. So Zacchaeus just wanted to get a glimpse of how does he carry himself? What does he look like? He runs ahead, he climbs this tree. It says, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now think about this. Tons of people following Jesus, right? There's religious people that are following him that have heard about him, and these are people that, that Jesus loved. There's people that were just curious, you know, part of the crowd. Maybe they didn't believe or they weren't followers of Jesus. They were kind of like Zacchaeus, just intrigued, so they're making their way through the crowd. Then there's Zacchaeus, who's isolated himself. He's up in a tree. People would know him as a no good kind of guy because he makes a living stealing from people, right? And it's that guy that Jesus calls out and says, hey, I must come to your house. So all the people are looking like, man, look at him. He's gone to be a friend of a sinner, okay? It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, 
I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Came to seek and save the lost. I think it's important for us to note what Jesus didn't say. Because oftentimes, man, if we put ourselves in Zacchaeus' place, if we put ourselves up in that tree or we imagine how Jesus might talk to any one of us, it's in a much more guilt-ridden kind of tone, you know? Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, you thief. You've been stealing from all these people and making life hard for them. Stop stealing from people. Give the money back and get down out of the tree, you know? Which had Jesus done that, I imagine it would have brought about, brought about a change in Zacchaeus' life, right? <laughs> Like, if somebody called you out on your junk in front of everybody else, it'd be like, yes, sir, okay, <laughs> you know, like, but, but guilt, how many of you know, is a lousy motivator. It might bring about change for a little while, but it's not lasting. If Katie and I have intense fellowship at home, you know what I'm talking about? We get into it because I did something, didn't do something, and in her anger, you know, if she shares that with me and I feel guilty about it, I'll change for a little while, but it doesn't bring about lasting change, right? Because usually we just wanna get through that bump in the road. But if she comes to me and says, man, babe, you, uh, you said this or you did this and it makes me, makes me feel this way and I just, I don't feel loved. It's like, man, I will move heaven and earth, right? To make sure she knows exactly how I feel about her because she appealed to me in love. And that's what we see Jesus do here with Zacchaeus. He appealed to him and loved Zacchaeus. Come down, I must spend some time at your house today. He developed a relationship with him. It's what we have to do if we wanna reach people, but it's also what he wants for us. He wants to develop a relationship with us. It's not about church attendance or perfection, not about what you have done, can do, or will do. It's about Jesus. He's pursuing us. He desires a relationship with you, and if we're gonna reach others, we've got to build, we've gotta be intentional to cultivate a relationship with them. So number one, we've gotta accept the responsibility. Number two, develop a relationship. Number three there on your outline, we've got to share your story. Share your story. Man, people can debate with you all day long about scripture, right? But they cannot debate a life that's been changed. One of my favorite passages from Revelation, it says they overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, meaning the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the word of testimony, the story about what God did in their lives brought about freedom and healing and victory for others. The difficult thing about our story though is that oftentimes, just like the email that I read you earlier as we got started, in the sharing of our story, we have to reveal places of pain. We have to reveal some things that maybe we've kept to ourselves that we haven't told anybody about. And oftentimes, most people can't identify with the sweetness of success, but all of them can identify in your pain. And when you're willing to, to share your pain, man, it can bring about a sense of relating. When you can point to the work of God in your life, it causes faith to rise up in other people. One of my favorite areas to talk about this in, in my own life is in the area of our finances. I am like one of the stingiest pastors that you'll ever meet, <laughs> and I'm yours, so be blessed. <laughs> you know? But I can, I can count on one hand, like pre-Jesus and Katie, the number of times that I've given anything away 
with a happy heart. That passage on the Lord loving a cheerful giver is just one that I've always struggled with because it's always pretty begrudging. Here, have this. Oh God, <laughs> you know, quickly take it before I take it back. You know, there's been times here in the last few years where like I would buy Katie a set of earrings or something, and she would wear them out which was a win as a guy. If you've ever bought your wife something, usually you don't see it again, but I saw it. So it meant like, oh, she liked that. This was a win, okay? And so she would go out on girls' night and she'd come back home and I'm expecting to see the earrings that she wore when she left. I'd be like, oh, babe, where's your earrings? She's like, oh, I gave them to Jenna. They matched her outfit. I was like, oh, I would've bought cheap ones if I knew you were gonna give them away. But she just freely gives of her stuff. And there's been times over the last couple years where we've been giving an offering. We wrote a check just to see it written out. And I've been at the offering box. We'd go get our kids out of Kids Coast to come and pray over this and drop it in the box that I've been standing at an offering box in the back crying. Some of y'all are thinking like, man, Pastor Josh really does struggle with giving. But I wasn't crying for that. It was because I remember the dude who couldn't give with a cheerful heart. I remember the times when it felt like I was prying my hand open. And now I have giving goals uh, we, we stretch ourselves to give and, and it brings about emotion in me because I'm like, man, I remember the dude that I was and the work that God has done. What is that area of your life? As you point to, you remember the man, you remember the woman, you remember the marriage, you remember the relationship with your child, you remember the, the seasons of pain or unemployment, you remember the struggle, but God showed up and did a miraculous work in your life, and now you can look back on that season and give testimony to the work that God has done. If we're willing to share our story, man, it can break down walls greater than any conversation you could have about God's word ever could, but it's gonna require us to be vulnerable and let our walls down with folks. So we've gotta accept the responsibility, we've gotta develop a relationship, we've gotta share your story, and step number four there on your outline is give a personal invitation. Give a personal invitation invitation. You know, I could send out a, a church mailer for our grand opening. Like, hey, we're about to have this exciting season and we just wanna blast it out to the community, let everybody know. Whether it was grand opening or Easter or Christmas, like let's mail it out and invite everybody, the whole community to come. Well, if you're anything like me, man, when I get things in the mail like that, like any other Val Pack gutter cleaner coupon, it's like trash. Trash, trash. When I need my gutter clean, I'm gonna find somebody. We're not organized to hold on to all those coupons. We're gonna throw, you know, like sifting through the trash. And any mailer from any church usually goes to the same place, right? But if it comes through the hand of a friend, right? Man, or how many of you get a, you get an evite to like a, a party by email? You gotten those before? You gotta go through this process of like, yes, no, maybe. Like what does maybe even mean? You coming to the party or not, you know? So, so like, but usually with those things, because it's one of 50 emails and it's work involved for me, I'm just like, I just can't go through all the hassle of the Evite. If you want me to come to the party, call me, text me, let me know. We're having a cookout, bring your bathing suit. We want you and Katie and all the kids. I'm like, you sure you know how many kids? That's a lot of burgers, man. That's what you, you want us to come? Okay, well, come. I know for the folks that want us there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear from them, right? And the invitation from a friend carries more responsibility, credibility than something I just get in the mail, right? Well, us extending an invitation does the same thing, whether it's an invitation to Jesus, right? If you feel comfortable enough to share the good news with somebody that you know doesn't know him, or maybe for you, if, if that would just feel like a stretch, maybe it's an invitation to come to church, right? 
You're gonna say, hey, join me. We're doing this series. We're doing this thing, and I would love to invite you. I promise you, I don't know what you would say your favorite weekend at Seacoast is to date. Maybe it was your first weekend, or maybe it was a, a message or a time where God showed up in a powerful way. But I promise you, your future favorite weekend ever will be the time that you bring a lost friend with you because you see everything different. You're like, Pastor Josh, I pulled up in the parking lot. We had to park all the way over at the Publix, man. Like, Harris, Harris T was all the way over there. We had to walk all this way in and we got here. And man, you're looking around, making sure the floors are clean, praying the pastor don't say something crazy. How loud is the music? Man, that music's kind of loud, man. We gotta turn that music down. I got a friend here, you know. You see things differently, but I promise you, the moment that they hear the good news and a tear starts to roll down their face, they raise their hand to say, man, I wanna make a decision. All of a sudden, this place, is to it will be your favorite weekend ever. But it's gonna start when we extend a personal invitation. One of my favorite passages that speaks to this is in John 1, 40 and 42. It says, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, everybody say first thing. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was get his brother Simon. A couple years ago when I read this verse, I told our oldest son Abel, it's like, buddy, this is your life verse. That as you encounter Jesus, my prayer is the first thing you would do is grab Asher's hand, grab Ari's hand, grab Anthem's hand and bring them to Jesus. We can take them to church, mommy and daddy can talk about them, but you are the big brother. And they're gonna do what you do. So as you bring them to Jesus, man, it is gonna change their life. And church, as we head into this new season of ministry, there's gonna be people that wind up here at our church across all of our campuses and online there's gonna be people that find Seacoast because they're in a place of brokenness and a place of, of desperation and they've Googled life or hope or Jesus or addiction. They've Googled something that's led them here, but how much sweeter, right? If as a part of their story, they could say, my friend Bill invited me. He saw the season that I was in and he asked me to come, right? All of us are bound for one of two places and the reason that this is the greater miracle, the reason that Jesus says, don't rejoice in the miracles, rejoice in the miracle, that we might have eternal life in Christ. The invitation is that we get to be a part of that. And I was praying this weekend, God, what would you say? What do, we, what do we have? What are we asking people to go? Is it boldness? Like, do we need courage? Do we need to be leaning in? That faith would rise up in us, that we would go and share our faith or go and extend an invitation? And my, my prayer for us this weekend isn't that we would do any of those things, that we wouldn't feel any guilt or pressure or burden to go and do anything, but that we would have an encounter with Jesus ourselves all throughout scripture. Just like Zacchaeus, just like the woman at the well who encountered him, over and over again, we see these people encounter Jesus and they can't help but go and tell people about this man. They can't help but go, hey, come and see this man who told me everything that I ever did. And the whole crowd came to faith because of her story, not because of her church attendance or her credibility, but because of this man. My prayer for each of us today is that wherever you might be, that you would have an encounter with Jesus. Whether it's for the first time, whether you're here, and maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but if you were honest, if we were to sit down and grab coffee and you talk to me, about your relationship with him, it's become much more about routine and religion. You'd struggle to talk to me 
about the things that he's been telling you or the work he's been doing or what your relationship looks like. And maybe today is gonna be the day where you have a personal encounter with Jesus. It's like, God, I've drifted from you some, but I wanna re-up on my relationship with you. Maybe it's you're in a season of loss, of brokenness and, and pain, and today's gonna be the day where your personal encounter is gonna be much like the miraculous stories we read in scripture or we've been experiencing lately. That God's gonna show up in power in your life and do a miraculous work to say in some way, I'm, I see you, I'm with you, I love you, whatever the case. Would you take a step today? Would you respond in faith to have an encounter with him? Let's pray. Yeah, we love you so much, and I thank you, God, for this weekend. And I'm, I'm thankful that much like your encounter with Zacchaeus, that over and over and over, when I think you would look at me with eyes of judgment or condemnation, that you welcome me, that you receive me, that you desire to spend time at my house that you wanna to get to know me. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice today. Gotta know how your heart breaks for them and their pain. I know the, the special attention, the special focus that we read about in scripture, that your eye has been on them. May they respond to you today. May they take a step towards you in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd love to do today. Um, as we enter into response time, if you're new here to Seacoast, this is where we set aside a few moments and ask two questions. God, what are you saying to me and what am I gonna do about it? And what I'd love for us to do to start response time, if you just bow your head one more time for me and close your eyes. Man, I just felt like as we were wrapping up the service there and began to pray that extending that invitation for you, that there's a lot of people here today that need to take that step, whether it's for the first time or maybe you've known him for a long time, but the relationship has just kind of drifted and you want today to be a line in the sand kind of day where you re-up on your walk with him, your relationship with him. If today, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, if you wanna take a step towards a relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand for me so I can pray over you as we begin? I see you. God, I pray for every hand that's gone up here in this room and online. God, you know exactly where we are. You see us as your children. And I know how greatly your desire is that we might step into a relationship with you. And so God, I just pray right now, whatever season they might be in, may they experience your presence and power today. May they leave today so inspired by a God who is crazy about him that they that you would send your son to die on the cross for their sin. God, may they just be captivated by your work in their life, your incredible love for them. In Jesus' name, amen.